Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, October 12th. Rid yourself of all self-definitions. They block your awareness of yourself as the ever-perfect soul. You, as a manifestation of God, are unique. The Lord never makes even two snowflakes exactly alike. Self-definitions are like heavy luggage, difficult to carry about, and obstructive to free movement. The more completely you renounce your self-constructs, the easier you will find it by your openness to soul guidance to advance toward freedom. Remember always, you are not this little ego. You are infinite. Self-definitions is a a concept that runs all through the teachings of self-realization. And it is an enormously important idea to grasp and Really not that simple to grasp, but like many subtle ideas, it has this, you know, it has these huge implications. We are so, we, we, let me, let me think how to say this. What we are essentially working with is that there are two realities acting simultaneously at all times. There is the, the presence of the infinite spirit within us. We will call that the jiva, which is the word I like the, the most. It's an Indian word. Think of it as the soul. But it's, it's very conscious, it's, it's individualized, it's where our individuality rests, it's the unique bubble in the ocean of, of the spirit that is, that is myself. That jiva enters into various bodies as it progresses from manifestation into re, reabsorption in the divine, even goes through animal bodies, but eventually it reaches the human level, which is all that we're working with all that is relevant to this discussion, advances through many stages of human life and finally reaches the point of awareness where you, you're going to be listening to this broadcast. You don't, you're, you're never going to find this broadcast if the jiva in you um, is not, has not progressed through sufficient experiences that now you're ready to at least think about the end of this journey. Not, you're not at the beginning of it. You're near the end of it. All along that time, every time the jiva it inhabits, animates a, a, a physical form, uh, starting with the animals, but really in the human form, whether you're a tribesman, a, an indigenous person in New Zealand, whether you're a stockbroker on Wall Street, uh, you know, whether you're uh, an, a merchant in, a, in the bazaar in Calcutta, whatever, wherever you are, you take one physical body, and that physical body immediately has certain characteristics. The soul has no gender, has no nationality, has no culture, has no skin tone because it has no skin. It just the jiva is the constant, but the jiva enters into the physical form. It's the presence of the jiva, the presence of the soul, which animates it, which literally creates it. The sperm and the ovum come together. The jiva enters in because the karma 
is appropriate for it to take that body, then the presence of the jiva uh, attracts by magnetic force um, all the atoms and everything that's required to create the baby's body. The baby is born, the jiva, the force of the jiva gradually grows it into a human. As soon as it enters the sperm in the ovum, its reality is now limited because now I'm not just a bubble floating in the ocean or I'm even not a formless energy. I'm not in the energy state of the astral world. Now I have become limited. I am somebody's child. I have a mother. I have a father. I therefore have an ethnicity. I have a, a, a cultural context. I have a DNA. You know, it's not DNA that determines our karma. It's our karma that chooses our DNA. We have all of that. It's all there. Now, what happens is, you know, you're born. You you come out as this little baby, and there's all these. They watch all these psychological stages of children as they uh, begin to grow through what they go through, and um, they. Let's, let's see what, what was I wanted to say. Oh yes, there's a point at which. Well, there's a point at which, for example, the baby discovers its toes. You know, just and it's it's a psychological state where the baby discovers its toes, and it's so amusing to the parents to see a baby lift its own foot to its mouth and suck its own toes. But the baby just has discovered toes. It doesn't know it's my toes. It's just like, oh, this is something interesting, and I'm going to relate to it. Sometimes a child will be frightened by its own hands, a baby, because its hands, you know, sort of flip like that. So the child's sitting there, and something that this flips in front of it. And the child doesn't, the baby doesn't know where it comes from. It's just a startling object because we have to learn. And then the child gradually realizes that this is my body. This isn't just a body, this is my body. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, tension and trauma that begins to happen sometimes for children as they begin to gradually realize that they are unique and they are separate. And all of those things, that's what growing up becomes. And as we discover the characteristics of the body that we're inhabiting, we make the natural mistake of thinking that this is who I am. I am. I mean, I have often referred, and perhaps I shouldn't refer to it as often as I do, I have a Jewish upbringing. I identify with being Jewish. When I went to Israel, I discovered how, how deeply I identified with being Jewish. I was real surprised. I've been on the path of self-realization for 50 years, I have, I've done. I wasn't a practicing Jew even when I was a Jew, <laughs> um, but it was amazing to me how deeply I had identified with that reality. I definitely identify as female. I identify as a small female. I identify as having curly hair. You know, just like these things. And but the more deeply we identify with that, the less we are aware of the fact that I am an infinite spirit. And so the, the, how, how the, the self-definitions are, are, let me say how to say it, the fact that we exist in a specific body with specific characteristics is not in itself binding. It's just necessary. An avatar takes a body. You know, Master had to have a physical body. Therefore, he had, he had a skin tone. He had a face. He had an ethnicity. He had a natural language. He had certain cultural things. Uh, you know that preferences and so on like that they were they did define Yogananda as he appeared in the world the degree to which they defined him to himself which in his case was zero because he was totally identified with the infinite 
and merely acted through that particular form. But most of us take our self-definitions as our self-definition. We identify with that. We define ourselves and then the word is we identify with it. And that's where we get confused. We get really confused. Being a female, I can't be a male. Being white, I can't also be black. Being American, I can't also be French. Being Jewish, I can't also be Christian. And then all the freedom, the potential freedom of being one with the infinite spirit, of knowing myself as one with all of creation, as seeing every sentient being as my brother and and my sister is limited because I've identified myself, defined myself in a certain way, and so only, only certain things are possible. Or we say, and this is very interesting to me, I was talking to a friend recently who was about to make, at least in my opinion, some really terrible decisions in regard to this wonderful partner that she had managed to attract in her life, who was just so generous and so good, and she was so resistant to trusting his generosity and his goodness because... I was raised to be independent. She's almost 60 years old. I finally, I finally said, you are 58 years old. Do you think it's time to separate yourself from the way you were raised? Fortunately, I got her attention. But like, she'd spent 58 years of her life saying, I was raised to be independent. So she's about to turn away what seemed to me like a divine gift from God because that's the way I was raised. So perfect example of how defining ourselves by the things that have happened to us, by the unique experiences of this particular snowflake, limit us and block the, the, the divine inspiration that could possibly flow through us. So we have to hold those experiences lightly. This is how Swami Kriyananda put it, which I absolutely really loved. He said, um, Kriyananda, he said, I never identify with Kriyananda. He said, Kriyananda is an event for which I am responsible. And that has always been perfect to me because I've often been in the position of organizing events. I know exactly what it is to be responsible for an event. You know, you're, you're, on, you're, you're hypervigilant, you're constantly making lists. You're waking up in the middle of the night and putting notes. You're sending out emails at three in the morning. You know, people will say, huh, three in the morning. I see on this email that telling me to bring the tablecloth was, you did that at three in the morning. Hmm. You know, you're not getting much sleep lately because I'm responsible. I'm exaggerating, but not by much. I know what it is to be responsible. You have to be a hundred percent in it if you want it to be successful. But I never think that the Christmas banquet I'm cooking is actually me. It's just like, how could it be me? (laughs) Because I am something else. It is happening, but it's happening outside of what I know to be myself. But see, that's what is the incredible truth of this situation. Me, Asha, and all that she's doing, and who, who everything she thinks she is, is happening outside of me. It's happening fairly close to me, and I'm aware of it a lot of the time, but not always. There's blissful moments when I forget it completely. I just forget she's there. Every so often she just goes away, and there's just a flow of energy which is so much more enjoyable than the constant awareness of the one who's doing it. 
And, and even just to meditate on that, even just to play with that, what would it feel like? Because the, here's the other side of it. If, you, if you're attentive, there is always something or someone else watching you be you. That's how I know I'm here, is because something else is watching me be here. And so there is already a division within us. It just depends on what we identify with and how we define ourselves. And it's actually not as hard as you think. Now, we don't want to become silly about this. During the 70s, when a lot of people were taking drugs and were having lots of experiences that were that were chemically induced, they were not necessarily false, but there was no foundation. So when they came back, when the chemi- chemistry wore off, there was no, they hadn't actually bridged the gap between the resting point of their consciousness and this strange being hurled like a slingshot, a stone on a slingshot into this perception of another reality. So there was one lovely person who, who hung out at Ananda for a while who always, who always referred to this unit of consciousness. <laughs> she never would say I. Now, Ananda Muima, a great saint of India who died in the early 80s, she also referred to herself as this body. Well, usually she would speak of it as this body. She never used the personal pronoun. But she never used the personal pronoun because she, she identified with what was inhabiting and animating this body. And she never defined it as herself. My dear friend, that might have been the same girl who called herself Mushroom, but I'm not certain. That might have been two different people. I can remember mushroom. I think mushroom was this unit of consciousness. But it would be like this unit of consciousness would prefer the cabbage to the zucchini, you know? So it would be using it in contexts that were, that were humorous. But I appreciated the affirmation. And on occasion, I will refer to myself as this unit of consciousness, but rather more to remind myself rather than a pretense that I don't, that I'm incapable of using the personal pronoun. Ananda Ma was incapable of using the personal pronoun. There was simply no I. And even Jesus, when he said I, well, Jesus had different ways of referring to it. Sometimes he, he meant Jesus. And then when he meant Jesus, he meant the body that the Christ consciousness was inhabiting. But most of the time when Jesus used the pronoun I, he meant the Christ consciousness that was animating that body. And most of the confusion over Christianity is that pronoun I. What was Jesus referring to? From a self-realization point of view, as soon as we understand that there is an infinite potential within us that is our true self, and to be a, to be a Christ is to realize that infinite potential. To be an avatar, to be the son of God, to be born without sin. Jesus used lots of words that make sense from a self-realization point of view. Um, when he would say I, he meant the infinite consciousness. It manifested through the body. That's what people were looking at. But, but he was something else. And, and the closer, the more we can move in that direction. And we, we move with it with common sense. You know, when you accomplish something, pay attention to where your inspiration comes from. Pay attention to where your energy flows from. When you, when you really lose yourself in creative expression that is, that is inspired from a higher level of consciousness, it's easy to be humble 
because it's self-evident that it came through you, it was not yours. In another context, in, in this in this chapter, in these uh, ad, this advice from Swamiji, he talks about thoughts are not individual; they're universal, and the inspiration that comes from us is inspiration that exists in the universe. That this unit of consciousness merely opens itself to channel, and the less we identify, and of course we can practice it by simply being humble, but what we really want to become is is actually aware of of the energy that flows through us is not me. The body that I wear is not me. I'm going to take off this body and I will still exist. A friend of mine, just before she died, she was lying on her deathbed and she said to a friend, she said, as I lie here, I see, I believe she said thousands of faces and all of them were mine. I wore all of them. You know, this jiva inhabited all those bodies. So she said, it's very hard for me to be concerned about losing this one. You know, she just died with perfect equanimity. Because, you know, one more of thousands is now going away. But I, the infinite spirit, am always the same. So Swami says, rid yourself of all self-definitions. They block your awareness of yourself as the ever-perfect soul. You as, a manifest, you, as a manifestation of God, are unique. The Lord never makes even two snowflakes exactly alike. Self-definitions are like heavy luggage, difficult to carry about and obstructive to free movement. The more completely you renounce your self-constructs, the easier you will find it by your openness to soul guidance to advance toward freedom. Remember always, you are not this little ego. You are infinite. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.